to another edition of the Fantasy Authority Podcast. So this is the last podcast of 2019, this decade. We jump as of you know, a couple hours left of uh, 2019, so should be a lot of fun. Uh, we did not do a podcast last week because really we did not want to give in to people's addiction to play fantasy football in week 17, so we did not want to support their habit because playing fantasy football in week 17 is the absolute worst. Don't do it. Last week, I can't imagine people like having a championship on the line and playing week seventeen and having to navigate those waters of all the players that didn't play. And you know, if you had Lamar Jackson all year, and then no, you know, no Lamar Jackson. So, anyways, uh, but we're back this week. We wanted to do a 2019 wrap up, kind of go over everything um, and really what it means for 2020. And what I think we'll do a little bit of conversation about dynasty as well. I know, I know, uh, old hashtag Hedge Life has been um, fiending for the dynasty content now because we are officially, I guess, heading into the dynasty season. Where we're yes. far away from the combine. Uh, what the combine is probably what a month and a half away, and then you know we got uh, got the Senior Bowl coming up next month, the Shrine Game. Yeah, we have hand-sized Twitter coming back into full action and everything else, so it's going to be great. So, anyways, again, uh, I am uh, Kevin Steele. You can find me on Twitter at FantasyRat13. You can find Cody at CKutzerFF, and then you can find our other co-host Nate. At Nate Henry FF, the most original Twitter name in the game. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? How have you guys been? Doing well, man. Uh, enjoyed the little hiatus last week. Uh, didn't do any uh, DFS or anything like that, so it was it was nice not checking my phone every thirty seconds to see uh, scores and updates and everything. So enjoyed it. Ready to put it. Put a little bow on the 2019 season and and wrap this thing up. Same here. Happy to be back. Uh, glad I got invited back on the show after uh, I feel like a month of not being here. But uh, looking forward to wrapping up 2019. Looking back, giving some lessons and. Hopefully making uh, everybody play a little better in 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. Two, uh, 2019 was a, was a fickle bitch, if you will. Um, you know, we didn't see a ton of injuries. Like, we kind of talked about this. Like, but there was a lot of poor play, a lot of uh, bus, if you will. But I think let's just start out. Uh, oh, I guess one, uh, pull one out for the homies, the head coaches, Black Friday, you know, Pat Shermer, Freddie Kitchens. And, well, I guess we they haven't announced it yet because, you know, it's uh, Jerry Jones. And let's just drag this thing out with Jason Garrett. But they have not officially announced it, Jason Garrett. But I'm sure by the time you listen to this, he will be a, he will be shit-canned. So um, the Browns, the Giants, and likely the Cowboys are going to be looking for new coaches to go along with, what, the Panthers looking for new head coaches. And there's been some talk, too, as well as the Vikings could possibly, if, if the Vikings get one and done here, that that uh, Mike Zimmer uh, could be 
on his way out if they were to lose this because they're really high on Stefanski and I know he's getting interviews already so uh, we'll see what happens there let's start off let's just kind of jump back in the time machine of you know draft season and kind of go back and look you know looking back at the ADP and kind of how things shaked out because uh, it's pretty uh, pretty different Uh, there's a lot of names in here that weren't anywhere close to this so this is the I found on fantasypros.com this is looks like their their final ADP for the season or for you know draft season it was Saquon at 1, CMC at 2, Kamara at 3, Zeke at 4, Hopkins 5, David Johnson at 6, Devontae Adams at 7, Love Bell at 8, Connor at 9, Michael Thomas at 10, Julio at 11, and Odell at 12. We have the actual finishes of CMC 1, Michael Thomas 2, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, Zeke, Chris Godwin, Hopkins, Henry, Fournette, Julio, and Nick Chubb. Looks like the only one, uh, there's not many that, uh, so basically you have what? CMC, uh, Hopkins, Adams, Michael Thomas, and Julio are the only ones that finished inside that were drafted inside the top 12 that finished inside the top 12. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on on just kind of the overall view of kind of how the season ended? Yeah, I mean, you look at that list and you have about a one out of three chance of being happy. Uh, that's that's not too good for the for for the first round. That seems lower than normal, um, but there were a lot of big busts. I mean, David Johnson is just a huge one. Love Bell. It just seemed like there was a lot of variance in, in what was going. Like Saquon had the injury. He had a quarterback change that sort of change how many dump offs were coming to him. Kamara, I don't really know what the heck happened there. I guess he finally just couldn't be as as dynamic as he as his unworldly numbers would let him believe. Devontae Adams had the toe injury. Connor had injuries. Love Bell had an Adam Gase problem. So yeah, I mean it's it was a rough year for for the first round. We talked about it a lot on the podcast. I don't understand why Lev Bell was a first round pick to begin with. I mean, I think that was the that was the bigger problem. But I mean, Kamara. I think if you look at Kamara's like per touch numbers, they're not that much different from you know what they have been over the past couple of years. It's just that the the touchdown regression bug bit bit him pretty hard this year. David Johnson is just so weird, man. Getting supplanted by Kenyon Drake is just. I'm I'm looking forward to. If you know, I mean, if we get any any kind of like off season news about like what really went down, like was he just hampered by that injury so much, and they weren't letting it out, or you know what was going on there? But yeah, if you look at the the list of how they actually finished in the uh, in the top twelve, um, Austin Eckler at five is just crazy. I mean, he had he obviously had the the huge beginning of the year, but for him to be sitting at five, you know, I mean, with, with how the second half of his season went, where obviously he wasn't putting up nearly the, the numbers that he was is pretty wild. Godwin being at, being at seven, that was a, a very common name on this here podcast in the off season, including every other website and podcast and Twitter handle. There were a few detractors, but that, that name grew, grew, uh, heavy as the as the offseason went on so kev any uh any thoughts that you have here on the on the top 12 of adp and the actual finishes i think it's something to be said about a couple of these i mean the saquon one of course we know that he had the that the really bad high ankle sprain came back probably a little bit too early played through it really didn't really start coming back on and start looking like the saquon that we all expected him to until the very end um the last couple of weeks of the season and even last week uh, against a really good 
Philadelphia defense, uh, you know, throw up the tie rake. Uh, I'm talking about the peace sign why I took it to the house on him. But, of course, he was a disappointment. He was the number one overall pick and did not finish uh, anywhere close to that. But other than that, like, CMC, I, looking back at it, like, he probably should have been the consensus number one. I mean, he was number two. But I think a lot of people kind of went back and forth with Saquon and Kamara and Zeke. Uh, over the offseason, but a guy that had over 100 receptions the year before and, you know, PPR league, which I think is pretty standard now, like, and this is, you know, PPR ADP, like, it should have just been logical that a guy like CMC would, would at least his floor, you knew it was going to be there. He was still really the only one there. There shouldn't have been anything to worry about. So looking back at him, but dude, I mean, his season was so amazing. I mean, he almost outscored number the number two, Michael Thomas, by almost 100 fantasy points. And then, you know, really, Michael Thomas had a historic season because once you get past that, I mean, he outscored number three, Aaron Jones, by 146 fantasy points. He was a cheat code this year, and if you had him, you likely went to the playoffs, and you likely you know had a very good shot of winning a championship. Though I will say it's crazy because in my best ball leagues, uh, the best ball, I, I didn't do a ton of best ball this year. I, I think I played ten lineups. I ended up cashing in seven of them, and none of them had CMC. So I don't know how I did, or Lamar Jackson, by the way. So for me, I mean, I think a lot of it says to me about like the guys that are safe, right? The guys that end up finishing inside the top twelve were CMC, Michael Thomas, Zeke. And then you had Hopkins and then Julio and, you know, so those guys, I think that if you were to start the season, you per se, those guys probably felt the safest and had the highest ceiling or the end or the highest floor, excuse me, just because of their opportunity where the guys that were drafted inside the top 12 that didn't um, David Johnson, of course, you had to have concerns. I mean, he hadn't really had a big year in a couple of seasons. Uh, of course, we loved everything going on with Cliff Kingsbury coming in and running that offense and all the hype that he got. But, you know, and you look at that Lev Bell, we knew that that was going to be a really risky situation. James James Connor just has never been able to stay healthy in his career. Odell is has been more hyped than anything. I think he hasn't finished as a wide receiver one, I believe, in what? I think it's like two years, three years. I mean, all these guys were riddled with 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 concerns. You know, taking the the Saquons, or not the Saquons, the CMCs. You know, I guess Kamara would be the outlier to that, that I don't think anybody saw coming. But if you looked at it, how efficient he was throughout his career, that a lot of his production came because of how, how efficient and the touchdowns. So the, the positive regression that came, or the negative regression, the regression, the regression that came for him, I guess maybe wasn't as shocking. But overall, like I felt like that's kind of what you're looking at here, and I think there's something to be said about that. Of course, you know, swing for upside is always there. You know, we love Dalvin Cook. He finishes RB four. He probably he likely would have finished higher than that. Maybe possibly R, you know, as number two overall. Not R. Oh, excuse me, he finishes RB three. But Aaron Jones ended up surpassing him. With 303 fantasy points, I think the one that really sucks out to me that's that that is Austin Eckler. Like we, I knew that. Like I remember having this debate with you, Cody, going into the season. <clears throat> you weren't as high on Eckler as I was, but I still didn't think that. Even if you would have asked me, there was no way I would have said that I thought he was going to finish as the number five overall fantasy score, not including quarterbacks. I knew that Melvin Gordon was going to come back at this point. Like heading into the off season, like how do the Chargers? tell a story where they try to bring back Melvin Gordon when Austin Eckler has played as well as he has. Like, he has, just, I mean, just destroyed him um, this year, and then they, they bring Melvin Gordon back, and you felt like, okay, Austin Eckler's going to fall off a cliff, and he really didn't. Yeah, I mean, even if we could have had a time machine and said that he finished as, a, as an RB1 just in general, I think that would have been, you would have looked at that as a, as a really good year for him, let alone as, you know, the fifth overall player. But, yeah, I mean, I agree. I just don't see what the point is in bringing back Melvin. You know what I mean? that I think that team's going to go through a little a little revamp here as it is with Philly Rivers looking like he's probably on his way out. And, 
know, with Melvin wanting the money that he wants and his holdout and everything, it's probably not going to sit well with uh, with the franchise. So, I mean, I think you bring – if you look at Eckler and Justin Jackson, like that's a that's a solid one-two punch. You know I mean, I don't think you really have to spend high capital on a, on a running back in the draft either. So that'll be uh, – Melvin Gordon will be another interesting name to follow this offseason and see what ends up happening with, with him. Is there um just kind of off the off the top? Is there a is there a team where you would be excited to see Melvin land with? Where you might think about taking him, like let's say in the first two rounds next year? Tampa. I think that I mean we've been excited about Tampa for a few years now. Like we've it's been, always been like the number one spot that always seems to come up with people. Much like I, think, I believe it was the Colts used to be the same way. You always talk about every like oh man, imagine if he goes to the Colts. Like ah, that's going to be something, right? Like and now that's that's Tampa. That's all every whatever running back it is, whether it's Le'Veon Bell who seems to be on his way out and with the Jets, you know Adam Gase, you know has to flex on Le'Veon Bell. He seems like he's probably gone. David Johnson is a lock to be gone you know melvin gordon you know i would rather have melvin or i'd rather have david johnson Le'Veon bell than melvin gordon but yeah i mean tampa is going to be the number one place that everybody's going to talk about i think one underrated not that i think the chiefs would go after him but i think the kansas city is certainly going to be looking for a running back though it's funny because right like we we spent all offseason debating uh damian williams who i believe in adp went probably in the second round i think it is either late second early third uh made a drop because of lashawn mccoy being signed but i think that might have been a little bit too late for that to change that much the last couple of weeks, he's really uh, shown out, like had had some pretty big games, especially this past week. But a lot of his problems have been just injury, right? Obviously, LaShawn McCoy is going to be gone. I don't think Darwin Thompson will ever be a lead back for the Chiefs. It's going to be interesting to see what the Chiefs do over this offseason. I probably lean towards them drafting somebody early. Uh, I think that's another landing spot you could be looking for a running back. So Damian Williams, uh, 305, according to... Uh four for four and the last update on that was tuesday september 3rd so two days before the season kicked off okay so yeah sounds about right with damian williams obviously he did not pan out as we know but i mean most of it was injury a lot of it was injury related it really wasn't as much as people wanted it to be like Lashawn mccoy problem like that really wasn't it anytime he really was healthy he got a heavy workload we've seen it and now these last couple of weeks he's the clear-cut number one on this team heading into the playoffs but so i think that's another landing spot that we'll be looking at running back so this is going to be a pretty interesting offseason i think and more so than years past because of a lot of things that are going on i think that there's going to be a lot of discussion about what's going to happen with the patriots because right now i feel like as the patriots like i i I don't this is like like usually like you see pay the patriots and they kind of go through these stretches every year where you're kind of like oh yeah the dynasty's over it's over guys and then they sort of kind of turn it on in december and then they just wreck shop through i don't know if you feel that way about them right now i certainly don't of course anything could change they play the titans but i feel like the titans at least have a pretty decent chance of actually knocking them off but i think over the offseason if they do like everybody's going to be saying that this that the dynasty's over i think there's a wrong chance that tom brady could be gone and could go somewhere else because and I know like my like so like my brother like he's a diehard Patriots fan has been one well before Tom Brady so it's not the he didn't jump on the bandwagon but anyways but we were kind of talking about it and one thing we were kind of talking about was like because we know a couple of years ago Belichick wanted to get rid of Tom Brady he wanted to stick with Jimmy G and Robert Kraft would not let him and so I'm almost wondering if like this is Belichick's way of getting rid of Tom Brady by not putting any talent around him whatsoever because what could possibly go wrong a 40 plus year old quarterback where your best 
your, your best weapon is is a running a pass catching running back and an aging wide receiver you know Brady Brady had a strange year I mean he was he was a fine QB one for the first what six seven games of the year and then he just took a turn where he was completely useless for fantasy purposes and their offense tanked they couldn't run the ball at all. They seemed so predictable. Anytime Sony was on the field, you just brought in an extra linebacker and shut him down. Anytime James White was on the field, pretty much knew they weren't going to run. And Brady's numbers were not were not good the second half of the year. He wasn't throwing the ball downfield as much. I think his average depth of target was one of his lowest of his career. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's starting to hit a wall, but, I mean, well. There, there is a some some correlation with that with their schedule. With the early part of their schedule was complete right. garbage, and then all of a sudden they started playing better, you know, better, better teams, and all of a sudden things changed. I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be fascinating to watch this playoffs. I really hope the refs don't screw this up like they did last night on that on that Jacob Hollister non call. Like, can we review it? Can we not review it? Can we? Isn't that what that's for? I don't know. But that that was horrible. They cost the Seahawks, which was hilarious because I think today. Al Riveron came out and said that they didn't review it because it looked like that Hollister actually initiated the contact, which I'm like, what game are you watching, bud? Because like the linebacker clearly was draped all over him well before Hollister ever touched him. I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. That's either here nor there. As far as the actual finishes, uh, the play where, where guys ended up, uh, you know, Nick Chubb, I think, is going to be one that I think is going to be pretty interesting next year heading into draft season because what they do at running back, like, I just can't imagine they bring back Kareem Hunt. Uh, Kareem Hunt's another guy that's going to be a free agent, uh, obviously, who uh, we signed a one-year deal. So clearly he's another guy that's going to be looking for a home. He might be the best option for for teams, especially a team like Tampa, who who he is a younger uh, running back. Obviously, was cut on his rookie deal with Kansas City, played one year here, Cleveland, and so I believe he's 24, 25 years old. So he's certainly, I think, the youngest option of all of everybody that's available. But I think with Nick Chubb, like, where do you guys see him going next year? Like, where would you, if the, if you were drafting today, and let's say Kareem Hunt left, where would you put Nick Chubb? He would be in the first round for me, pretty pretty comfortably, especially if. If, uh, if Hunt is gone, I mean, Nick Chubb was easily one of the best fantasy running backs and just one of the best running backs in general up until. It's, it's just so weird to me, too, how they like refuse to use him as a, as a receiving threat on a consistent basis. There were a couple of those games where he was getting, you know, five, six, seven targets, and then the press conference would come out, and they were like, whoa, hey, we know, uh, we know he did well, but we can't be doing that. And then once Kareem Hunt uh, joined, what was that, week 10, 11, something like that, he just completely took all of those looks away. And Nick Chubb was still putting up RB1 weeks with no receiving ceiling or, or floor. So he would, uh, he would easily be uh, a first-round pick for me next year. Yeah, I think he'd slide somewhere around like seven or eight, maybe nine probably want Tyreek Hill over him, but it's pretty close. It's right around there with the Hopkins, Chubb, Hill. Well, let's have some fun then. Let's do this. Tell me what your top five would be. What what, what would be your top five in terms of rankings as of right now? Do we even need to debate one? <laughs> it's so obviously CMC the number one pick. I mean, this it hasn't been this obvious since Larry Johnson was wearing a Chiefs uniform. I think Gurley has, after... Uh, yeah, the first year with McVeigh. Sure. I thought you were about to make a case for Todd Gurley. I'm like, excuse me. 
<laughs> CMC is number one for me. I think I'd still slot Barkley number two. I think that, yeah, the way he's played the last few weeks, it's he just he looks like that back we drafted in the top three of almost every draft every league this year. You know, I don't I don't know what to make of the. I think if Breeze comes back, Michael Thomas would be three for me. Yeah, I agree. I would slide. Um, Thomas ahead of Zeke simply because we don't know what the coaching staff of the Cowboys will be probably Urban Meyer I guess but that that probability probably make five for me with Delvin Cook so for me I think it would probably be I think you know I know right now it's crazy because we're so close to the end of the season so people are going to say oh my gosh you can't even have a debate with CMC like I feel like that like one, this season is kind of historic. I, he's never. I, I don't think he ever comes close to this again. Um, not that I think he has some drastic fall off by any means, but I think there still could be a debate with Saquon and CMC. But right now, for me, it would be CMC, and then it would be two would be Saquon. Three for me probably be Dalvin Cook. Four would probably be Nick Chubb, and then five would probably be Michael Thomas. I think. Wow. I, I could make a case for Michael Thomas higher. Um, depending on what the way things shake out there, you know, if Drew Brees comes back, though, that I guess you could make an argument that though, because he was so even consistent, even without uh, Drew Brees. I mean, when I mean Teddy Bridgewater, he was uh, still you know a beast. So it's not like he just was having a, t- a rough year, and then all of a sudden Drew Brees comes back. Michael Thomas is going to be hard not to debate at least in the yeah, definitely in your top five. But I mean, I could move him all the way up to probably three and feel and feel fine about it. But I, I do think Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb both deserve to be in the top five for sure. Especially oh. without, uh, especially with Nick Chubb, I just feel like that we're we're going to have to wait and see what coach comes in, and hopefully they bring in an offensive-minded coach. Uh, you know, especially with Baker, um, I think Stefanski would be a, a decent option for them. I know that they were going to be bringing him in as a to talk to him, which I think is interesting. Because I think something to notice there, I don't think this is a a uh, John Dorsey thing. I think this is the the owner making this because I think John Dorsey's on very thin ice with the Browns because he's not a good GM. Regardless of that, I just think Nick Chubb, as long as you know they don't do something crazy and bring back Kareem Hunt, which I don't think happens, um, I think it's wheels up for Nick Chubb in 2020. Well, we like our top picks to have very little risk, right? And you want to talk about CMC a little bit. He's had Norv Turner the last few years. And the one thing we know about Norv is he rides his RB1 to death. So we looked at CMC having 90-plus snap percentages for two years in a row now. New coach comes in, Norv's probably out. Maybe they don't run him so much. He might be in the 70-80 range. It's still worth an RB1, but it's it does change the calculus a little bit and just adds a touch of risk to our consensus 101. Yeah, I mean, the, the drop-off that we've seen from running backs over the past couple of years is something that, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to project we see a, a Todd Gurley kind of fall for him but i think that's something you always have to take into consideration when like especially when you're looking at these workhorse running backs i mean david johnson lev bell todd Gurley, like the the list goes on and on with these guys i think an 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 early name that i'll throw out for maybe this is a bit hot takey um but i think someone that could creep up into like that five to seven range uh joe mixon i will i will be on mixon heavily next year i like that he has produced in just garbage situations for two years now. Assuming Joe Burrow is the number one pick there, 
the tackle they took last year who tore his pec in the was it Jonah Williams, I think, uh tore his pec in the in the preseason. He should be coming back, which will be a which will be a big boon for for that offensive line. So I think Joe Mixon will be a, a name to to pay attention to, and I think we can see him have a have a huge rise uh, come September of twenty twenty. Yeah, where would you pick Kenyon Drake if he returns to the Cardinals? I still think you'd be a... third, fourth round. I think that uh, low. I I think he would probably go mid second for me somewhere. Uh, I don't think I'd have him as an RB one. I I can see the case, but I, it will be interesting to see how they utilize Chase Edmonds. As well, sure. who has 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 flashed some as well, but it seems to me that that you know Cliff Kingsbury is, is committed to having you know a really workhorse back. So I think that could be Kenyon Drake, but um, we'll have to see how things shake out because you know we saw Chase Edmonds too and how explosive he can be. So I think they would like to probably get him a little bit more involved. As uh, he obviously got hurt, um, missed some time. I don't know. The David Johnson thing will always be. I, I really w- hope we someday find out what really happened. I have a feeling it's more to the that they want to trade him and they're trying to preserve him to not get him hurt over the offseason so they can trade him because why would you run him out there for your few snaps or whatever if he was actually that hurt? Like it just seems to make more sense to me. And he's not it's not like he's a Cliff Kingsbury guy or anything like that, you know. It's not like he's somebody that he has allegiance to. He didn't draft. I think we would love to see David Johnson wind up into actually go to Tampa Bay and reunite with Bruce Arians. Like that would be great. Because we know he knows how to use them. Let's let's just say, for example, if Bruce, if if he ended up in Tampa, they traded him to the Bucks. Where would you slot in David Johnson? Because he he would he would go right. Like I'm not quite, see. Here's the thing: a lot of people look at David Johnson. And we've we, there's been a lot of talk about David Johnson, and oh, he's washed. And people posting stuff on Twitter about one video of him trying to run or something like that. And people call, calling him to say that he just fell off a cliff. Like I don't believe that whatsoever. If you look at his numbers, David Johnson, like I got his numbers right here. You know, to start the season, he had 20, week one, he had 25 fantasy points, number five overall, 18.5, number nine, 21.9, number 10, 18.6, number 12, 28.2, number three. He, there was only one week before he got hurt that he did not produce an RB1 week, and that was week two against Baltimore. We had 8.4, finishes number 37. So he finished right outside of, of, of a, a you know, flex option. But other than that, the dude was an RB1 every week, giving you RB1 numbers. And I believe that, if I remember correctly, before he got hurt after week seven or after week six, he was number four or five fantasy running back. He was doing exactly what he, you drafted him for. He got hurt. He missed, he, he missed what, week seven through nine after that. Well, he played that one snap or one or what? Yeah, that one snap I think he played week seven against the Giants. That was the Chase Edmonds week. And then after that, he was out week not eight, nine, and ten. And then he comes I, but then he comes back week 10 and he's been used very, very sparingly since. So I don't believe that he's toast. I don't believe that he's done. I don't think he's cooked whatsoever. I think if he winds up in the right situation, he can easily be a top five running back. I'd probably put him somewhere around the beginning of the second. Probably, probably somewhere end of the first, beginning of the second. Yeah, I'm probably a lot lower than both of you. Um, he is 28 years old. He'll be... No, yeah, one thing it wouldn't necessarily be his age, but he does have a lot of wear and tear on uh, on those tires. He had a, he had a lot of touches, I think, coming into the NFL. True, I I think there's about 14 running backs I'd rather draft than him. Looking at the list, assuming your Tampa scenario. I mean, Arians, yeah, wonderful reunion, and I'm probably wrong, but I don't know. The the risk is making me wary. 
I know he had a lot of I know he had a lot of usage in college, but I mean since he's but since he's entered the NFL, like it really he really hasn't had that many. I mean he missed an entire year because of a wrist injury. Uh, this year, I mean, he half a season was basically taken away. Yeah, I mean, I, I get I get the point. And yes, he'd be. I mean, he's not somebody you probably want to invest in in dynasty at 28 years old. He's certainly on the down. He's going to be on the downward slide. But I mean, at 28 years old, 28 29 season. I mean, he still can produce. But I don't know. We'll see. It's going to depend on where he, where he ends up. It's going to be interesting to see with David Johnson. There. I mean, admittedly, I love David Johnson. I've loved the dude since he's he's into the league. But it's sad to see the way his career because he could have been so much better, and he. Is not going to ever going to be talked about in the way that he probably should but you know the healthy david johnson was, uh, is a beast let's take it a little further would you rather have david johnson in tampa back with arians or josh jacobs david johnson what about joe mixon assuming joe burrow's mixon. drafted I, mean, I think even if burrow wasn't drafted i think i would still go Mixon in that scenario i i already know i'm going to be i'm going to be very high probably too high on him next year I legitimately think he's one of the most talented running backs in the NFL. Agree with you? No, sure. I, I, I mean, I think you can make a case that, that I mean, like a lot of people have, we talked about about Joe Mixon that he is David, a young David Johnson, right, or a young Love Bell. Like, I think that is uh, who he is. Nate, what about um, for you, uh, Miles Sanders? I think he's going to be an interesting name uh, during draft season next year. Miles Sanders or David Johnson in that scenario? See, in that scenario, I think I'd go David Johnson. I just, I worry about Peterson trying to limit Miles' touches. I think he was sort of forced to give Miles 70% of the snaps in the last few weeks of the season. And if Jordan Howard never got hurt, he would never have seen that type of workload. He's showing he can do great things when he gets that workload, but I just, Peterson just scares me because he never gives one back a ton of carries unless he has to. But man, it's close because I like the youth. But yeah, I think I think I'd go Johnson in that scenario. What What about Zeke? We haven't really talked about Zeke at all. Like he just the last couple of weeks, he finally started being utilized more as a pass catcher. But for the most of the season, he really just hasn't been utilized as a pass catcher, which has really hurt his value some. Um, you know, obviously we're gonna uh, we're, I mean we're gonna have to wait and see you know who they bring in as a head coach, what happens there, what's the situation. Um, to kind of get an idea, I guess, on you know how they're going to use Zeke and stuff like that. But where do you guys view him? Because he's somebody that we really haven't talked about. Got to think whatever coaching staff comes in is going to be a little more progressive. This is something I was talking to one of my buddies about the other day. Like, I don't understand what happened with the Cowboys defense, I mean, offense rather from like the first four weeks where they were using a lot of the motion and sweeps and bunch sets and everything to where they ended up in the at the end of the year you know what i mean like how well everything was going uh, but anyway uh, you have to assume it's going to be a, a more progressive offense that comes in so hopefully he's going to be um targeted a little bit more i mean he had so through week 17 had 72 targets literally ha- half of what christian mccaffrey had and that was also 36 less than the part-time player of Austin Eckler. So he showed last year that, you know, I mean, he can obviously be really successful with, with, uh, with the targets he gets and with um, obviously being u- utilized in the passing game. So you have to figure he's going to be targeted more. Um, still going to be a first round pick, maybe like seven, eight range somewhere around there. Yeah, I mean, 71 is still pretty good. Uh, it's not the 95 he saw in 2018, but it's a lot more than the 
38 and 40 he saw in the first two years of his career when he was still a dominant running back. I think that Jerry Jones will impose his will on whatever coach comes in, and Zeke will still be the central focus of any offense that comes in. Uh, if it is Urban Meyer, I mean, every, <laughs> Urban knows what to do with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, so I, I'd imagine he'd still be a top five pick for me next year. Yeah, is, I mean, is Urban the, the front running name? Just real quick. I think he's I, the name that's been floated out there the most. I think is what okay. it is. Which Sorry, I okay, honestly, I think it would be a complete and utter train wreck to bring in Urban Meyer. Like Urban Meyer is one of those. He's he's an alpha, right? He's kind of like Nick Saban. Where he's so used to being able to run everything, and that's just not the way things go. And especially, it's not like he's going to go to a team where they're going to give him complete, you know, control of the, uh, you know, of the of the roster and all the moves. That's not going to happen. Jerry Jones runs that team. He's the GM, and so basically, they're just going to ask him to come in and coach the team. And I just don't think this is a good spot for Urban Meyer. Like I, I think Urban Meyer, if you ever want to coach again, just go back, stay in college. You know, like he's one of those guys that that's where he should be. I don't know. I think this would be an utter disaster, um, at least for the Cowboys anyways, for, for them to bring in Urban Meyer. But, you know, if you look at his numbers, though, really, they weren't, I mean, they weren't terrible. I mean, he still finished with 1,235 rushing yards, 417 receiving yards. Um, he had 12 touchdowns, and he's finished number five overall fantasy points per game, 18.9. So it wasn't a terrible season by any means for Zeke. Uh, the carries were down a little bit. He had 283 compared to the 305 he had last year. The big, the big drop, though, really, the the drop in in fantasy points per game came from the targets because he went, like you guys said, from 95 or from he had 95 last year down to 72. He also had red. I mean, his red zone touches this year. He had 64 of them compared to last year. We only had 51. So they tried to get him the ball more, which. Uh, of course, you know, led to a little bit more touchdowns as well. So yeah, I mean, I think Zeke is going to be an interesting study because he just. He never really felt like that he was just having monster weeks, right? Like, he never felt like a guy that kind of carried your team to the championship this year. He more felt like he was just kind of like, you know, steady Eddie, just kind of kind of continued to put up, you know, decent numbers every week, but wasn't a guy that just kind of put up monster numbers. In comparison to a guy like the Tyree Kill of the running back position and Aaron Jones, where Aaron Jones either had monster weeks and won you your week, or he got you. Yeah, he's going to be, he's also going to be an interesting one. Like we always see, like especially these guys that finish the year the the way that he did, how much they get propped up, and uh, be interesting to see if there are any philosophy changes with, you know, between the the running back. Are we going to see Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers passing more? How how all that's going to shake out? So that's there's going to be so many interesting storylines to to kind of keep track of and follow as the as the off season progresses. You mean you mean he can't finish? The, you don't think he's going to reproduce his 19 touchdowns that he had this year? You don't think it's going to happen? Oh, that I can't wait for Kev to go on a tangent about the uh, the regression. I do. I do. Well, like Pat Mahomes from. Well, even from but this even year. with that, like people, I saw people taking victory laps on Patrick Mahomes, right? Um, well, it's just, it's just, it's just not accurate. Like he was, he was, he was a top five quarterback before he got. I know we've already, I think we've talked about this already once. I feel, I feel, I feel like we have. I don't know. I, I feel like we use that that term way too much. If a guy had a really good year, all of a sudden it's like regression, regression. The next year he's gonna regress, guys. Stay away from him. He's gonna regress. No, and I don't know. I just, I just think it's a little silly. Do I think he's gonna score nineteen touchdowns next year? But I think he can improve in other areas. You know, he did finish with nine hundred. What did he have over a thousand? I think he, or I think he might have hit over a thousand after last week. I know he got hurt, but 
Anyways, with Aaron Jones, I still think he's a dominant uh, player. I mean, you look at his efficiency numbers, and they're everything that you want to see in a running back. Uh, you go beyond his stats. So um, he was eighth in evaded tackles, eighth in juke rate, uh, tenth in yards per touch. So, you know, number three at fantasy points per game. Like, but like I said, I mean, his numbers were kind of all over the place. You know, 4.9 week one, 25, 15, 17, 49, 8, 18, 41, 3, 27, 3, 7, 31, 17, and then 28 week 16. I still love Aaron Jones. Like, where would you guys take him next year? Is he is he a guy that you have in the top 12? I don't think I would be able to just because of the, the volatility that you were that you were just laying out there, Kev. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's not going to fall any further than 15. Six, you know, what I mean, some somewhere in that range. I just don't know if that's a if that's a guy I'd be able to spend a a first round pick on, because I mean, it just as a as a general philosophy, I'm I'm going I'm going safety with my with my first round pick, and I just I don't think that's someone I'd be able to spend that pick on. I think I agree. He's a top twelve running back for me, but I think there are some safer wide receivers. I would probably take over him well, among be- running backs that played over uh, 50% of the snaps Aaron Jones was second in points per touch just behind Austin Eckler Eckler had 1.23 points per touch and Aaron Jones had 1.08 I think he's a borderline RB or not everyone he's a borderline uh top 12 pick some of those guys that like were in here thank you muted Kev I said I think he's I, he, he's a borderline top twelve pick for me. Um, so I mean, as things finish this year, CMC, Michael Thomas are locks. That uh, Dalvin Cook, Zeke are locks for the top twelve. Uh, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins. You know, I think those guys are, are are kind of the the ones that you're you're probably locking in, right? There, we still have quite a few you know available spots. I think Aaron Jones does right now fits in that for me. Um, does a guy like Derrick Henry? It, do you guys have him as as somebody that you would be willing to take in the top twelve next year? Nate, I'll let you go because I'm I'm the resident Henry hater. Yeah, I mean he does not have the pass catching profile. I think I'd look for in first round draft pick, but if I'm at the very end, I don't hate it. Uh, I think he's right in the Aaron. Jo- I think I'd actually take Aaron Jones over him over Derrick Henry next year, but it's it's really close for me. I mean, if we want to talk about regression i mean i think that that team that offense as a whole has to be one that's primed for regression right just with how with how insane how how insanely efficient the entire offense has been since ryan Tannehill has taken over and there's still the still the concern with him that he can be scripted out of games they just haven't they haven't had that because of like i said how how ridiculous that offense has been with with tanny under the helm right if if they get down big Derrick Henry cannot be counted on. And we saw that multiple times this year, um, mostly when Marcus Mariota was under under center. But it happened a few times with Tannehill. Um, it was a lot – there were a lot fewer and far between. But, I, I mean, you want to talk about regression. That guy had more one-yard carries for touchdowns than I think we've seen in, in about 20 years. So that's certainly something that's going to regret if he's not going to get a one-yard carry twice per game. I don't think you can count on the same number of, of touchdowns. A.J. Brown's a stud. The offense is certainly better with Tannehill, but again, I think that's a little bit too risky to be a first-round draft pick. That's a nice second-round draft pick for me, though. Was it changed at all in half-point PPR? From full to half? 
And to standard, yes. Well, standard, of course, yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's tough with 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 Derek. He was somebody that we kind of talked about a ton in the pre, in the, you know, heading up into the you know during draft season and everything else with him. And he was somebody that like I kind of talked about, and I had said pretty much multiple times that I felt like he was either a guy that was going to lead the league in rushing. Or, you know, he could be end up being like just a late, you know, a bot, you know, low end RB2. Obviously, he led the league in rushing, as we know, which he did at weeks, you know, during, you know, this past week where he finally, uh, you know, he, he, he supplanted Nick Chubb. Um, he was the rushing leader. But you're right, that, that is the 100% risk with him is just, he just not utilized as a pass catcher. I think he was 47th in targets on the season. Um, what do you have? 20, yeah, 25 targets, which was 47th. Um, he only had 39 red zone touches, uh, which was 13th, but he's just not utilized as a pass catcher. And I think that is a very scary thing. And if that offense takes any sort of uh, step backwards, then yeah, I mean, th- there's a real risk there with Derrick Henry. So I would probably say, no, I would probably agree with you guys. That I don't think he is somebody that I would want to take in the first round, maybe mid to late second for me would, would be more my cup of tea for, for somebody like him. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. But I just, I know a lot of people are right, especially right now, you see people putting out like 2020, um, their top 12 or, or whatever right now. And uh, like, we're living off of recency bias of everything else of what, of, of what we're just coming off of. I think things, people will change their mind. Um, <laughs> once the, you know, w- once we get more information, once we have the drafts and once we have free agency and everything else, I think it's going to change. I think people's opinion on Derrick Henry is going to go down a little bit. I do not think that he's somebody as of right now that I would want to take in the first round. So to kind of put a little uh, little dynasty rookie twist on this, um, Kev, let's say I think the general thought is that, is that the Chiefs do draft uh, a running back relatively early. Let's say they get like one of the top four or five. So we're talking you know, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, uh, a lot of people are throwing Dobbins up there now with uh, the performance he just had uh, this past Saturday. Um, let's say they nab one of those, like I said, top four, top five guys. Where do you think that running back ends up in terms of like redraft? How think automatically plugged into like the second round? Yeah, and I think you can even depending on their profile. If their profile is a three down back, which is something that Andy Reid typically uses, I think you can make a case as a first round pick. Um, oh, man, I'm so excited to see this because we know how. So the the Chiefs' offense really wasn't as good as what it was last year. We know this. A lot of it had to do more with the fact of the of injuries, and it wasn't just the Mahomes injury uh, against the Broncos. It was Tyree Kill as was injured for four or five weeks of the season. Their offensive line, like this, was like a mash unit team there for the first half of the season. We didn't see until the second back half of the you know of the season where everybody started to really get healthy and everything else, and that's when they started to click. So I think this offense takes a step forward next year uh, from what we saw from this year. So a lot of the efficiency stats show that, I mean, they really haven't changed all, all that much. But uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think you add a dynamic running back to the, to, to this mix. And, yeah, I mean, we saw like with, with, with Kareem Hunt or even da- uh, Damian Williams, even some a couple of games this year that, this, you know, a, a running back in the Andy Reid system can be gold. And so the right the right 
player in the right you know if it was like deandre swift or something which i doubt i think he has a shot of going in the first round but if the chiefs were to take one and you know even trade up in the second because they're kind of a team that doesn't have a ton of holes that they're that they're going to have to go out there and try to address this offseason so they're a team that can be super aggressive with their picks and if they feel like that they need a running back somebody if it was somebody like that then yeah it would be hard not to view them or that player as uh, even as crazy it would be maybe uh you know late first early second round pick kevin is, is sammy watkins somebody who's going to get cut this year absolutely 100 percent. Right. that is the that is a hundred percent stone cold lock uh that he is right. going to be cut because that Good. dude is there was the worst signing by brett veach that he's made uh, in his uh career as a gm here in, in kansas city so crazy right like all the Sammy Watkins truthers do victory laps after week one, has that monster week, and just falls off a cliff afterwards. Like, has not been seen again. Yeah, agreed. Miko Hardman's a name I love in Dynasty and Keeper Leagues as well. That is somebody I'm very excited about. Like like you said, I think the, the Chiefs have some regression in the positive sense that's they're due for next year. And I think we're going to watch them do some nice things in the playoffs here. And a lot of people are going to be very excited about them, which is unfortunately going to rise some of the ADPs of the chiefs players, but nonetheless, uh, those are two players I like a lot in, in, in dynasty and keeper is, is, is Hardman. And, and if you got a running back of the Jonathan Taylor, probably not him, but, the Dobbins range that that'd be very exciting. So, speaking of speaking of rookies, um, season's over with. Let's have a little uh, review, I guess, kind of a dynasty rookie review here um, with some of these some of these guys that with that uh, after you know now the season's over with and everything else. Um, let's kind of let, let's just start with the the running backs. You know, you had Josh Jacobs who put up a really strong season uh, before get, before succumbing to injury. You know, David Montgomery hype train that a lot of people, especially late in the in the in draft season, but a lot of people really started getting on late and you know late August really started getting super excited about. Heard a ton about all the missed tackles and everything else. Um, but really just never got a, uh, an opportunity to be that lead back. And then you have Miles Sanders who popped in the second half. You know, who was, you know, Devin Singletary really started to put things together as well. But, you know, heading into next year, how would you rank them on, on, on verse, you know, how would you rank those guys? I think Jacobs has to be one. Uh, we've seen it from him. I, again, kind of like what we were talking about with Nick Chubb, like that's, you have to get him more involved as a pass catcher. Like that was one of his, that was one of his strengths coming out of Alabama. I mean, he had some plays I remember watching where it was, he literally looked like a receiver. Like there were just some like crazy adjustments he made. He was really good with, with the ball in his hands in the passing game. So you got to figure that goes up from basically zero. So I think you have to have Jacobs at one. Miles Sanders, I think is going to be at two. Um, Nate, I get what you were saying earlier with, you know, uh, their hand kind of being forced, but they were, uh, you know, if we rewind the clock back to, back to April of this year, um, that entire organization was, I mean, I grand, you're going to, you're not going to hear them take somebody in the second round and say, well, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. So we just kind of picked his name. Um, but they did say several times that they had never had a player with uh, Sanders all around skill set. 
Um, so maybe them being forced to use him like this is going to bode well for his for his fantasy future next year. And I think somebody, you know, we haven't talked too much about uh, receivers receivers yet. Um, A.J. Brown is obviously going to be up there. And then somebody that I like a lot, uh, Debo Samuel. Um, I'm not sure what Sander, what Emmanuel Sanders contract situation is, but it, it kind of, it, it seems to me that they make a more concerted effort to get Debo involved more so than Emmanuel Sanders. And obviously Debo had himself a, a pretty nice game yesterday. So he would, he would definitely be in that, in that top four for me, as far as, as far as rookies go heading into next year, their second season, um, who else would you guys be throwing up there? AJ Brown has to be my favorite rookie of this year. I love AJ Brown. Um, I think he's a monster. I, I'd probably put him towards the top of a lot of dynasty drafts uh, of the existing wide receivers. And then I like Devin Singletary a lot. Yeah. Obviously, they're going to move on from Frank Gore this year. They already basically did, but I think it's his his backfield to take and when he gets the opportunity uh he's he's a really nice player good pass catcher out of the backfield dynamic i i think he's somebody to keep an eye on as well i like the debo samuels call a lot as as well i think he's he's a perfect fit for shanahan's office this sort of h back wide receiver hybrid who just does a lot of things out of the backfield and in a route and i think he's only going to get better as they find even more gimmicks to get him involved i like that a lot thanks buddy no problem it's nice to have you back <laughs> uh terry mclaurin i think uh, needs to be up there I mean, somebody you know like it talked about joe mixon producing in a in an absolute trash surrounding um, he's somebody that should be up there. Paris Campbell is someone who who is forgotten. Um, he dealt with a bunch of injuries, but that's you know another situation where the team was really excited about uh, landing him in the draft. I think Indy is going to be looking at quarterback one way or another, whether that's through the draft or through free agency. So that's someone I'd be excited about. And then you know we don't give tight ends a lot of love, um, but Noah Fant, I'm going to expect him to to end up being drafted. as in the top 10, top 12 kind of range next year. Um, just an athletic freak. Um, Drew Locke, I think, takes another step forward. I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be their starting quarterback next year. So that is a, as another rookie that I would I'd be, I'd be high on going into next year. Someone you can, like I said, with the tight end position, you can get him a little bit later. What about TJ Hawkinson, though? Because, I mean, I feel like he's the kind of forgotten guy. He had that monster first week and then sort of kind of uh, fell off a little bit. Obviously dealt with a lot of injuries this year, not having Matt Stafford. Uh, Matt Stafford, pour one out for him. Like, we all forget about how good Matt Stafford was when he was playing this year. Like, he was balling uh, prior to that injury uh, that, that he went down with. So, like I still feel like the Lions' offense you know, has some room to grow. They still have a pretty strong offensive line, but T.J. Hawkinson is somebody that I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about because of the injuries and everything else. But I think he has he has the potential to be better than Noah Fant. Like he has the potential to be the best tight end in this class that uh, of this season. Um, it'll be I don't know what they're going to do with Marvin Jones. I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone after this year. Obviously, you know Kenny Galladay is still a monster, and then with Matt Stafford coming back next year. Um, I think this offense could be fun to watch. Well, it, it's also going to be interesting to see what they do with Carryon Johnson. Like, is Carryon Johnson the 
He feels like he possibly could be the Dalvin Cook for next year. You know, we know he has the potential, he has the upside and everything else, but he's just not been able to stay healthy to be able to stay on the field, um, a, la, a la Dalvin Cook. So it'll be fun to watch with uh, on Johnson heading into his third year next year and where you can get him, because I venture to believe that he probably will not be as high dra- highly drafted as he should, and somebody that I think that has a, a, a pretty high ceiling. Yeah, and just to see if, if the Lions finally fully commit to him. You know I mean, is, is that a case of they don't think he can handle the like a full workload like that with, you know, with his injury history and what he's gone through his first two years? So that will be an interesting one to follow. Nate, you have anything to to add to that? Re the uh, the Lions and carry on Johnson. Yeah, I think they really liked what they saw out of Bo Scarborough. So you're looking at a committee next year. Um that's yes. probably going to lower his ADP. So if there is an injury or something like that, that's, you know, Kirion could be a really a boom if he gets the full opportunity. You know, I, I would be surprised if they don't bring Marvin Jones back, actually. I think he is sort of the, the oil that makes the engine go. Uh, it's his downfield ability that uh, – Defensive have to respect, uh, along with with Galladay's downfield ability, that made uh, Danny Amendola have a career year. Actually, um, so I, they they have a nice they have a nice offense. I I would love to see them improve the offensive line somehow. I they've spent so many draft picks and so much money on that thing, and yet they still can't figure it out. Uh, but. I, I think they have a nice offense when, when Stafford takes the helm, but I, I am a little worried about a, a Scarborough carry on Johnson um, committee next year. I don't know. We'll see, but I wasn't trying to get us off the rails with the rookie talk. <laughs> I think for me, the guys that I'm most excited about in this class are, are from this from this year's class is still Miles Sanders. I think Miles Sanders has a um, ceiling of any running back in this class. I still believe that. I I think I like I like him more than Josh Jacobs. I like him more than Devin Singletary or David Montgomery. And then from the wide receivers, I love Terry McLaurin. I I think he has the the potential to be an absolute star. You know, he did it with. Terrible quarterback play. A rookie quarterback who was trying to figure things out and continue to to put up solid numbers. As far as somebody like a, you know, I think AJ Brown. You know, we knew he was one of the most highly touted wide receivers coming into this this year. Uh, I think that he is, but also DK Metcalf. I think people are still aren't really embracing him. Like I think he is also an absolute stud and very well could be the next Julio Jones. Like he very well he has that in his range of outcomes, in my opinion, and. So, I think those probably those three are the ones. I, but I'm also really excited about Deontay Johnson as well. I think he really he really um, impressed me this year. Um, I think once they get two things that the Pittsburgh well one the big uh, you know getting Ben Roethlisberger back we know he's coming back he confirmed that I think he wanted to he I, in my opinion I think he floated out to some people that maybe he wasn't coming back just so he can make himself relevant again. Of course he needs to lose weight because the dude has ballooned like he looks like. Somebody that could stand to lose forty or fifty pounds, but regardless, they oh, also man, be, to... let's be easy on him. How do you expect him to do cardio when whenever he has an arm injury? You know what I mean? Yeah. Let, let's 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 take it easy on him. You you can't you know what I mean you can't expect him to be this you know pristine professional athlete with a with an elbow injury. Let's, the, one, let's... the one thing they definitely need to do, though, uh, is uh, add a, a backup quarterback because Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges. Duck Hodges is a fun story, but he's a terrible quarterback. Mason Rudolph is right right behind him. 
I think they 100% without a shadow of a doubt need to add a backup quarterback, especially with, uh, you know, aging Big Ben, somebody who doesn't take care of his body. It's not shocking that he would get hurt. So if they could find a backup quarterback this offseason, whether it's paying somebody a little bit of money that you don't typically wouldn't want to just in case something happens because they need a uh, somebody that's in glass that, you know, in case Big Ben gets hurt, break you know, because the the options they have, because it's really impressive if you look and see that they they were pretty close to the playoffs, considering they did not have Big Ben and how bad that offense was for pretty much the entire season. It was their defense that they landed on. So I really like Deontay Johnson. I think Debo Samuel. It's, but it's been fun to actually watch a wide receiver rookie class actually produce, right? Because the last two or three years, it's been really, really bad. Like you have to go back kind of to that 2014 mega uh, rookie class of wide receivers, you know, with the Odells, the Mike Evans, um, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, that year uh, of wide receivers. So it's been fun to actually, you know, get production. But I'm telling you what's going to end up happening is that we're going to, people are going to overdraft rookie wide receivers again and redraft next year because of it. And they're going to overinflate them. And you're going to see the Jerry Judys of the world and some of these other ones fly up, CD Lamb, uh, fly up draft boards and be overdrafted uh, because of what just happened this year. Not that I think that this, I mean, this wide receiver rookie class that's coming up in 2020 is going to be amazing. And we'll definitely get into it in future podcasts. I still think people are going to overreact a little bit. Yeah. I have a question about that. Do you think that this class was just special? I mean, we heard a lot of pre-draft people saying that the wide, the talent was in the wide receiver group this year, not the running backs. Or do you think that teams are just involving wide receiver, rookie wide receivers in their offensive game plan more? I mean, you look at the list of rookie wide receivers. We all saw pop DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, Marquise Brown was involved in a lot of, Games whenever he was he- healthy. Hunter Renfro was relevant. Uh, and Michael Hardman was great. Terry McLaurin was amazing. Deontay Johnson. Even you got Darius Slayton who popped a little bit. Was this just a special class? Or is this a sign that uh, rookie wide receivers are going to be more involved? I mean, it used to be a rule that rookie, wanting, rookie wide receivers couldn't be counted on until the second half of the season. You waited till somebody else drafted and dropped them, and then you picked them up. But, what do you think? Special class or is this something we can count on moving forward other than they'll just be overdrafted next year? I think I think a lot of it was a special class. A lot of it was uh, opportunity where they landed. I do think this was a special class. And I think it was it – was, I don't think – I don't feel like that heading into the offseason or after the draft or even this, this in 2019 that people were just – it's not like people were falling all over themselves for, for a lot of these guys. Like people weren't talking about Darius Slayton or Deontay Johnson. And, you know, there was low rumblings here and there. People weren't super excited about these guys. Yeah, people there was discussion about DK Metcalf, you know, A.J. Brown to certain extents. But it wasn't like this like fever of, oh, my goodness, right, of, of a class. And we kind of do this every year. Like last year year everybody was super excited about the the rookie quarterbacks for this year that was kind of were going to be coming out and it was Tua and and Herbert that a lot that people aren't seeming to talk about nearly as much um now it's Joe Burrow but I think it's but for me I just don't think there were there were many people that were as excited at at least from in my opinion about this this class this wide receiver class I think it was a special there's so many players that we've seen come out of come out for me even Hunter Renfro like you talked about like he looks like he could be a, a pretty special slot wide receiver for 
the Raiders, something that they don't really have a ton of. I mean, the other best wide receiver is Tyler or Tyrell Williams. So they're probably another team that's going to be looking for a wide receiver early. And, you know, maybe could be a fit for like a Jerry Judy, but I think he could go a little bit higher. The Raiders have ammunition to move up if they wanted to make that move or they could, you know, improve along their offensive line or their defense. But uh, this year's class is going to be pretty special to watch. But overall, I think this 2019 rookie wide receiver class is just special. I think one of the reasons why we didn't hear too much buzz as far as as far as redraft goes in terms of the rookie receivers, I also think it's it's a, it's an important lesson just in terms of you know kind of adding a, a dynasty twist to this is just uh, overrating uh, landing spots. I mean, you look at DK Metcalf. It was well, it's a run first team, and Tyler Lockett's there. How many targets is, is he going to get? Um, Debo Samuel. Everyone was, I mean, myself included. Um, I was really high on Dante Pettis this year. You know, I mean, George Kittle, like what's his role going to be? And then they also took uh, Jalen Hurd, who I'm, that's someone I'm really excited to see next year in terms of how Shanahan will fit him into that offense. So I think that's part of the reason why there wasn't too much buzz, like I said, for this rookie class in terms of redraft, but then just in terms of dynasty leagues, when you're looking at drafting these guys in your, in your rookie drafts and any startups you might be in next year. Obviously, landing spot is is important, but don't overweight it. Those the the situations and everything can change very quickly. Like for instance, um, when Juju was drafted to the Steelers, I remember I was like, "Well, I I just don't know what his role is going to be." I mean, Martavis Bryant is there. Let's not forget about that. And, and AB, like how you know what I mean, like and how quickly that changed. So that's just uh just a little nugget as we as we start to transition from the the 2019 season to the 2020. Uh, for sure, I think there's a lot of different things that go into it, but I do think that this year's class was was pretty was pretty exciting. Even you know seeing somebody like you've already mentioned with Noah Fant, where you typically have to wait a while to see tight ends really pay off. Noah Fant looks like the real deal as well. Uh, so. Anyways, yeah, I, I'm really excited to get into the 2020 stuff, start doing some some grinding of the tape, some looking at measurables and getting way too excited about certain about guys running in shorts. That should be fun. We're definitely going to be doing some podcasts about all that. We'll probably get some guests on here, some some dynasty guys, and I'm going to tell you guys why you guys are all a bunch of idiots and why. <laughs> but regardless, oh, because like like today, like it bothers me because like I see stuff like and I don't get it because my mind doesn't wrap around things with dynasty, right? Like today, I see, and this is one person's opinion, but I feel like I see this kind of stuff all the time. And I, I think I, I talked to Cody about it earlier. Was I saw somebody and they, they had like Nikhil Harry as like for you know future outlook, whatever as like number three and like ahead of Terry McLaurin and ahead of like Deontay Johnson was like twelfth or something and had J Jaw ahead of him. You know, and I'm like, like no, like how do you how like you know his argument was I think in the tweet was oh well, I'm 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 forecasting future. I'm like, what have you seen from Nikhil Harry that says he He's gonna be anything. Like I get it that guys can't. I mean, to look at Devonte Parker, it took him four years to figure it out, and all of a sudden the dude's a monster. I get that stuff. Like I live in the real, like the, in the now, and like there's nothing that that says to me that I think Nikhil Harry's gonna be a monster. Could it change? Sure, but there's no way I I I would much rather have Terry McLaurin than Nikhil Harry. And so I see this stuff though, and I feel like sometimes people fall on their their evaluations of how they felt about that player, like pre-draft and then draft, and will never let go of it and not reevaluate, you know, as things are happening. And they just get so stuck in their evaluation of that player and how they felt about that guy, and they they won't let it go and they they continue it. I'm like, there's nothing that there's no argument to be made that Nikhil Harry right now should be valued more or valued higher. 
a guy like Terry McLaurin after what we just saw or a DK Metcalf, you know, obviously AJ Brown or even a Debo Samuel. You know, there's all these guys that, you know, that, that have outproduced them. Like, how can you realistically tell me that you would rather have Nikhil Harry than some of these guys? And I, I don't want to hear anything about, oh, well, he's in the Patriots offense. Like, yeah, real great offense. You know, like it looks like one of the worst offenses among the group. Mr. Dynasty guys, we're gonna, I want to have. We're, we need to have a lot of conversations about this for people, so I, I so we, we can we can start figuring this out. Because I feel like as a non Dynasty guy, that I can bring something to the table to maybe talk some sense into some of you people. I want you to tell me, people. Yeah, I want you to tell me why. What 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 the thought process behind that would be as a Dynasty guy? I know maybe you don't believe it, but somebody that would why people in Dynasty would think that way. I think you hit the the big point. Is there pre-draft evaluation of the guy and then i think something that's kind of unique to you know dynasty twitter and you know dynasty analysts versus redraft is there's the you we're gonna see it this year we saw it last year saw it the year before it's gonna be the the tape versus analytics guys so if you know i mean if if you're staunchly like obviously redraft analysts you, you know use stats and everything too but not to the extent of like breakout age and dominator rating like you're going to hear a lot of these things over over the next couple of months so i mean if if this uh this guy in particular is a you know is a big stats guy and that's what he believes in and that's what he leans on i guess i could see the for Nikhil harry being you know being up there because he he did have a really nice production profile uh, the young breakout age everything that you know the the, the stat guys kind of want to see from there but i that's not something I get. I think whenever we were talking, uh, Kev, I you you brought up J. Jaw and you know how he looks lost and hasn't shown anything. I think the argument for him would be that he he at least has, as it sits right now, he has the clearest path to targets. There there were a couple of guys you mentioned that you didn't understand the the rankings, um, but with with Arthega Whiteside, it's that he's tied to Carson Wentz. The Nikhil Harry thing, I don't understand because you're looking at, you know, one hasn't shown this, hasn't shown that much this year. The the offense in general has not been good. What happens if Tom Brady's gone? But with Jay Jods, kind of, you know, the clearest path to targets as it currently sits. Um, obviously, they're going to have to do something either free agency wise or through the draft for uh, to help bolster that that receiving room you can't go into 2020 with greg ward as your wr1 well um alan robin or not alan robin, uh alshon jeffrey is going to be back right and then deshaun jackson I, will be back i thought alshon was um was a free agent after this year he might be i haven't looked at the upcoming class so maybe he he could be i guess it might make sense because i know he signed a few years ago so maybe he will be I mean, Deshaun Jackson will be back. Uh, I, they're definitely going to add some pieces there, but I don't know. Like with like with, with Arthur Whiteside, I saw nothing this year, and he's if, if there was a time for him to break out, we're at it now. Like they literally have nobody. They're bringing a dude up that played in a league that is now defunct last year. You know, heading into this year, right? Greg Ward, like love the dude, love the story, like he's like everything else. But like this is the time that he should be he be breaking out, and he's not. I get it. He's a rookie, and I know that you know not everybody breaks out at the same time. Situations, you know, you can make a case for Nikhil Harry that he hasn't been given a lot of opportunity. Hell, he didn't even show up until week eleven due to injury. So some of it I, I can understand a little bit, but I guess for me, it's more of just the fact of like 
it's hard for me to fathom saying that Nikhil Harry right now holds more value than a wide receiver that went out and put up what nine or what eight or nine hundred yards and five or six touchdowns, you know, like like a, a Terry McLaurin did. It just seems it just seems wild to me. So Alshon is not a free agent until twenty twenty two, and in twenty twenty he carries a dead cap hit of twenty six million. So I would assume he, he's going to be back with the Eagles. Although it looks like if um, they trade him post June first, um, it would only be fifteen million in dead cap, and they would save uh, they would save ten million in the twenty twenty cap. So I mean, that looks like that is their uh, that is their way out. A, a post June first release would be that full. 26 million uh, dead cap hit. That's going to be an expensive seven games he's going to play next year. Let's let's not get crazy. You, you really think it's going to be six and a half? Six and a half. There we go. I'll take the under. Anyways, we'll talk more. Connor, if he plays for a quarter and then leaves. So real quick, we're we're an hour into this and we haven't touched on the the receivers from a redraft perspective too much. We've been kind of going back and forth with some rookies and whatnot. Um, where are you guys going to be putting somebody like DJ Chark, uh, John Brown, the aforementioned Devontae Parker, guys who we weren't weren't really talking about too much? I mean, John Brown had his buzz. I was high on him going into the season. Um, but, you know, guys like DJ Chark, uh, D.D. Westbrook, guys like that, where, where are you going to be putting somebody like, you know, Chark and Devontae Parker? And do you believe in De- Devontae Parker going forward? Or do you think this is just a case of uh, the Ryan Fitzpatrick YOLO DGAF tour of 2019? Well, we've seen him before, right? We've seen him make wide receivers very relevant. I mean, Brandon Marshall um, comes to mind with the Jets, right? Eric Decker. That was that was that was a fun team. Yeah, Big Dick Decker. Yeah, it's tough though with with Devontae Parker, right? Like we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this breakout. Like he he, he kind of became a meme, right? It was every offseason as Devontae Parker hype season starts, right, with uh, the beat reporters in Miami, and he's having a – he is clearly the best wide receiver out here. Then the season would come, and nothing would happen. I don't know. It's hard It's hard to ignore. You know, Devontae Parker is 27, so he's still, you know, in that prime years that he has left. Very, I, It's, it's going to ultimately depend on what they have a quarterback for me. You know, if – I don't know what they're going to do a quarterback, right, because I, I think they're at the fifth pick – they have more ammo than any team. They have a war chest of picks. It's impressive that they've won five of their last nine games, by the way, considering they all the guys they went out and traded. They traded their starting left tackle. They, they traded their starting running back. They literally were running out Patrick Laird. Like, Patrick Laird was a thing this year. And I don't think we'll ever hear Patrick Laird's name again. But God bless that man uh, out here. But um, it's going to depend on what they have a quarterback. You know, they should definitely trade up to the number three pick and give some of those first round draft picks to the Lions. Yeah, but I so like it would be like Tua, right? Like that's who you're probably trading up for. I mean, I think at this point, because we know Burrow is number one, but Tua with that hip injury, it's gonna be it's gonna be something to monitor. Obviously, heading up to the pre draft stuff, where he stands and when his recovery is with that. I'm obviously no doctor, so but I feel like that. I feel like that if if I'm the Dolphins and let's say they draft Tua. I think you have to bring back Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, I think I would, right? Absolutely. So I guess, so I guess if, if, if it's Ryan Fitzpatrick or, or we'll see what happens, if they have a competent quarterback there in Miami, then Devontae Parker is gonna, still going to be very tough. Are you going to trust the one-year production versus the previous four years 
that did absolutely nothing? I I can't I can't do that. Um, I don't know. What, like round? Would you, would you take a swing on him there? Like let's let's assume that it is Fitzpatrick and I think he goes. Kinda... See, I think he ends up going in the third. I think I think he's a third round pick. I think he's a third fourth round pick. Wow. Where would you take him? I would probably, but I would I would probably take him in the fifth or sixth. Right, like that would be where I'd want to take him, but I think right. he's going to go much higher than that. <clears throat> DJ and like a guy like DJ Chark, right? Like he's somebody that like made sense to, to kind of take that next step. Super athletic dude, um, was kind of a field stretcher at LSU, and for him to take this next step this year, nobody was on him. But again, this is going to be another spot to see what they do. It sounds like Nick Foles is probably they're going to try to trade Nick Foles. You know, if Gardner Minshew mania is back, uh, you know, this offense depending on. What they do, I don't think they they haven't made a decision on Doug Marone yet, have they? Did they fire him? I know they were talking that they were going to, and they they changed their mind. No, still still a decision left on him. They got rid of Coughlin though as GM, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that dude, yeah, that dude's horrible. Um, Apparently, he was retiring the next week, and Con was just like, "Nah, you're done now." <laughs> Cold-blooded. <laughs> yeah. So I. With Chark, like I, again, I think he's probably another guy that probably goes in that fourth round range. I think I'd feel, obviously, depending on what's going on with that that offense, um, I I think I'd feel comfortable taking him in the fourth. I mean, if if I went running back heavy though, like let's say it's another year where, um, you know, I mean, you're taking, you're just trying to get one of those top tight ends in the like let's say the third round, and and I went RB RB tight end. That's a scenario where I would not take. Chark in the fourth, but if you know, what I mean, if if I have a more balanced roster at that point, I th- I think the fourth would be uh he he was w- would be a good spot for him. He was not only did he have those ceiling games, I feel like he was he was pretty consistent week to week as well. Yeah, I agree. Chark was wide receiver five at about the midway point through the season, and <clears throat> clearly their red zone target. Uh, and I think he could have another great year next year. I, there's certainly risk with the quarterback situation. So if the price was right, I'd be all right with that. But I would love to get him in the fifth instead of the fourth. But I think you're right. He probably goes earlier. Is DJ Moore somebody that we should be looking at as a wide receiver one next year? I think so. I mean, he was so, so consistent. So many targets. He was, what, second in targets for the last, second half of the season behind only Michael Thomas? You're going to give me somebody with that many targets with a Kyle Allen playing quarterback? Yeah, that's somebody who, if Cam Newton's back or they upgrade their quarterback situation, I'm definitely looking at him as a 12 option next year. I agree. So if you look at his numbers, I mean, 87, 87 receptions, uh, 1175 and receiving yards, but only had four touchdowns. I think that's something that you definitely could probably look at um, as a number that uh, should definitely go up. Um, next year but I, I love dj Moore. he'll be heading into his third season still only 22 years old you know to be that productive at that age i definitely think he he's he is certainly in the conversation at wide receiver one as a wide receiver one not the wide receiver one but uh <laughs> but yeah i mean 15th in points per game uh wow. yeah i think there's a lot to like with dj Moore um next year i think he's another guy at, and then another one would be uh tyler boyd who had a pretty big year as well. To be honest, like 
they were, I mean, if they would have left my boy Andy Dalton in, they would have won more games. You know, it's funny. They come back and all of a sudden, you know, they put Andy Dalton back in and they win two games. That's what happens. The Red Rocket comes back in. But, uh, you know, with Joe Burrow, uh, I think that Tyler Boyd is also another guy to really uh, look at next year. Uh, he was kind of that, what, what he was, I th- believe he was drafted probably, what, in the fifth, sixth round this year, somewhere in that range, maybe the seventh round. And I think another really big sleeper that we had, not sleeper, but really great value that you got was Allen Robinson. Just nobody was on Allen Robinson. I was super high on Allen Robinson, loved Allen Robinson. Felt like he was one of the best values in, you know, um, in the draft. I don't know why the people weren't, weren't high on him. It didn't make any sense. I know there was nope. conversations about, oh, well, he hasn't been able to stay healthy and everything else, but the dude's a baller. You know, he produced this year. He finishes a wide receiver one. I believe, yeah, wide receiver seven on the season. And even with a terrible, terrible Mitchell Trubisky, um, Allen Robinson really produced almost, what, two, two receptions away. Or no, I guess he did finish. Yeah, he had, uh, I don't know if this has... Okay, yeah. So, yeah, he did have uh, two receptions away from 100, uh, 1,100 yards, seven touchdowns. So, I love Allen Robinson, but he was another guy that was a great mid-round pick. So, Tyler Boyd was wide receiver 22 at 507, and A-Rod was wide receiver 28 at 607, which just, we talked about it, just made absolutely no sense. I mean, Miles Sanders, again, looking at four for four, uh, looking at their ADP, uh, Miles Sanders was three picks behind Allen Robinson. Alshon Jeffrey was two picks ahead of A. Rob. That was one I I did not get, and uh, yeah, we we we've talked about this a lot. But Austin Hooper, and as late as he was going um, in drafts, just in general, and then also at the tight end position, that was another one that that we we bandied about very often on this this here podcast. I think, you know, early, at least for me, guys that I uh, think that can take a big, uh, any, uh, another step next year or be players who I think that should be drafted higher than what they were this year. Michael Gallup certainly comes to mind as one of them. I think he's the real deal. What it, I, what it, I was, he was actually somebody I was getting ready to bring up, Kev. Um, would it would it matter to you one way or another if Amari Cooper is or is not a Cowboy next year? No, I don't think it does. And I think something that people should be we should be taking more uh, account of are these offenses that support the support to wide receivers. I think a lot of times we over overthink that a little bit too much or put too much emphasis on it. And we, we're starting to see more and more offenses that support uh, two wide receivers. I mean, look at Mike Evans and Chris Godwin this year as a perfect example. I definitely think they can. Um, with Michael Gallup, I mean, they, they did it this year. He had 1,100 yards and what six touchdowns, I believe. So. Uh, finished as wide receiver 23, played for only 14 games as well, so missed two games. So I think the sky's the limit for Michael Gallup. So, yeah, I really I really like him. I also think Christian Kirk uh, can stay healthy. Another year with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray takes a step forward. So I think there's some, there's some definitely some players here that we're going to be talking about next year that I think uh, are pretty interesting plays and guys that I would be looking to take in these middle rounds. What are you guys doing with the the Los Angeles Rams offense as a whole? Because that's one that has been utterly disappointing this year, top to bottom, no matter no matter who you're looking at. I mean, Cooper Cup started the year off hot, then he faded and had a, had a game here or there. Brandon Cooks was nowhere to be found. Obviously, he dealt with uh, the concussion issues. Uh, Robert Woods had that absurd game where he had what like 19 targets or something crazy like that um but as a whole next year um 
obviously it's early and we, we're going to expect expect them to do a lot to fortify that offensive line, which has been Jared Goff's issue. Um, but just uh, just kind of like a general sense, where do you think you guys are going to be feeling as far as as far as the L.A. Rams offense goes? Um, I, I think I'm going to be watching the offensive line thing the closest. That would certainly boost Goff and the passing game a lot. I know Kev thinks Jared Goff is garbage, but uh, <laughs> but I, I think I think McVeigh will have a few tricks up his sleeve. Um, somebody I like a lot for 2020 is Tyler Higby. I think that he's somebody I will be targeting a lot because I think he'll probably be in that seven to ten range for tight ends that has been sort of a sweet spot the last couple of years. Um, instead of the four to seven, which has sort of been a dud the last few years, I like him a lot. I think so. You think he just hard. completely takes over uh, Gerald Everett's role? I do. I think that that is uh, something that we already saw. In fact, Gerald, Gerald Everett was healthy for weeks sixteen and seventeen, and it didn't affect Higby's role whatsoever. The fact that they were willing to limit Cooper Cup's snap count to get more playing time for Higby is a huge indicator that I think he's a major part of any plans moving forward. Yeah, I think they uh, they extended him in the middle of the year, right? Like before well, it was, it was uh, right before the season started. Right before the season. Yeah. Okay. He got a $31 million or four-year $29 million deal. Like right after he got cleared of those or got out of jail or whatever he did, um, they, they gave him a an extension, but they were citing pass blocking for the main reason for giving him that. Um, but he yeah, did a, more than that. Yeah. That was the wild thing with, uh, with how his season kind of went is he was getting a lot of snaps, but it was Everett who, the, who was getting the, the receiving role in that offense. And obviously Everett went down and the folklore of Tyler Higby took over. So that's, I think that's one that's it's going to be super interesting to to watch. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think I think the the forty or the 40, the Rams are the same. I think they're a team that with Jared Goff, they're playing a bad team. Jared Goff's a solid player. Uh, if they're playing a good defense, avoid like crazy. Like I said, he is, I, I he's Derek Carr for me. So um, with better weapons, I think Brandon Cooks very well. Because they're going to have to make some decisions, right? They went out and they they paid Jared Goff. They 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 traded for Jalen Ramsey. So Jalen Ramsey now is going to be getting a monster contract this off season from them. Um, they're going to be able to pay so many players. You know, they, Cooper Cup's going to be coming up for a contract extension here in the next year or two. So I think Brandon Cooks very well could find himself uh, gone from this offense. Um, they do have. Uh, Josh Reynolds, I guess you could, um, you know, uh, somebody that that in limited opportunity had have they talked about, but I don't know. I love no. I guess what I guess he did sign that. Yeah, I guess he signed that five year extension for, with them for uh, eighty million dollars for old Brandon Cook. Yeah, they have Aaron Donald, Jared Goff, Cooks, Gurley. They're all twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five. Robert Woods until twenty twenty two. So I mean, they have they have a lot of money wrapped up in in those top couple of guys yeah brandon cooks made 27 million dollars this year 
So and then so but his dead cap for next year, uh, so they really can't cut him because his dead cap's twenty one point eight. So they're not cutting him this year. So he's definitely going to be back next year. And then his dead cap for twenty twenty one is sixteen point eight. Or 13, excuse me, and then 8.2. So I think you could probably start to have a conversation about cutting him. Well, Maybe and, and not until 22. But it's crazy, though, because I didn't realize he was still this young. Brady Cooks is still, what, 25? He turns, or just turned 26? Next year's his 20, age 26 season? So he's still young. Yeah, but he is not young when it comes to concussions. I think he's got eight in his career. Maybe it's seven. He is one concussion away from career ending. I would be avoiding him like the plague in all drafts. Yeah, which is you know sad to see um, with him, but yeah, it's scary. I don't know. They owe him a ton of money. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like they have been like reckless with with their cap. They're gonna have to. Uh, they're not gonna be able to go out and add. Like they're gonna have to nail the draft. But then you're like, wait. They traded all their draft picks to get all these guys. So they don't even have a draft yeah. to fall back on to try to build their build their roster because they went out and added and and, and spent like crazy to find themselves in a Super Bowl and then even make the playoffs, which is crazy because whenever it happened when they made the trade for Jalen Ramsey, it's not like they were a team that was locked into the playoffs. They were still a team that was kind of fighting. Didn't really know if they were even going to make the playoffs. And I guess they thought it was going to give them this final push. And I get it. They're moving into a new stadium next year. So they're going to have to do something to sell tickets and bring people into the stadium um, there in L.A. I don't know. Like, this team is is destined to just face plant. Yeah. And if they can't they can't do anything to improve that O-line, I, I'm not super optimistic about the prospects of this offense. I'd be looking more at the Cardinals in that same division for somebody who could be that next uh, super offense. Yeah. So, and I agree. I mean, this Ram situation is uh, a little risky. So uh, we've kind of talked about some of the, so we've talked about that. So why don't we, Let's talk about a couple of the the busts that we've had here uh, this year. Um, I think you have one that's interesting, uh, though I think we kind of know some of it why it happened. But you had Aaron Rodgers as a bust this year, which clearly he was. Uh, Certainly, I think a lot of people who drafted Aaron Rodgers, which is what we talk about, is do not draft quarterbacks early. And we'll get into another one that I think is an interesting debate to have. But do not take quarterbacks early Aaron Rodgers was the third quarterback off the board I know you have him down as one I was one of the biggest busts uh you want to talk about him sure yeah so I took a slightly different perspective from what a bust is I mean we can certainly look at their average draft position versus where they finished uh but that often fails to account for injuries or or other things that are outside the player's control. Um, So I looked more at consistency rankings versus ADP to find duds. Aaron Rodgers had the most dud games of the top 30 quarterbacks. Uh, He had the tied for the most. He had eight, which meant you had a 50-50 chance of him, of when you started him, which you almost felt compelled to do all season long because you drafted him so high and you had a 50 50 chance that he just took a took a dump on your week and without a quarterback scoring at least 10 15 points you just you have no shot and so he only had five true startable games when you draft a quarterback that high and he's a dud half the time and a a startable asset only 
only five of 16 games. That is a massive bust and proof why the, uh, the late round quarterback uh, strategy is so, so useful. I mean, we saw it all year this year. Tannehill was a useful option. A lot of teams won championships with him. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm sure a lot of people won a fantasy championship with him in week 16 when he scored 30 points so yeah uh aaron Rodgers was a dud for me and uh and i agree with you that this is further evidence that you should be thinking about quarterbacks late in your round your draft which is a great transition because we have not talked about the elephant in the room and that is lamar jackson just went nuclear this year and again won people a lot of championships i don't think he's somebody we've, we've talked about and he's somebody that i'm t- that right now that you're seeing people talk about in you know uh fantasy twitter right now talk about you know Lamar Jackson going in the first round and I know we had this kind of same discussion with Patrick Mahomes last year after his 50 touchdown season there's probably a little bit more of an argument with with Lamar Jackson because of his ability to run I still think taking Lamar Jackson in the first or second round is probably ludicrous I don't think that he's able to I don't think you're going to see this type of production again this is probably sort of an outlier season but his ability to run the football you have to take notice and so, but where are you guys with Lamar Jackson for next year? Because, I, again, I feel like probably in Dynasty and especially Superflex leagues, you could probably get a King's Ransom for Lamar Jackson right now. Would this be the time, the ultimate sell window opportunity for Lamar Jackson? And in a redraft, where would you look to take him if, if, you, if you were going to take him? In redraft, I'm not going to have him. Like, he's, he's going to be in that, you know, for this year, Pat Mahomes area where he's going, at, you know, I mean, toward the end of the second. So I won't have him. I mean, I get if I was actually this is kind of the thing we I think we talked about with uh, with Evan Silva. If you're if you're in a in a draft full of guys that are basically playing you know quarterback chicken, and you know nobody wants to be the the first one to take one fifth round, I guess like even that feels like you know kind of feels crazy to say out loud, but that that's probably where you know I'm like maybe end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth. Like if I felt super confident in my first three or four picks, that's somewhere I would look. Um, as far as, you know, dynasty and super flex leagues, if I am contending, I'm probably not moving him unless he, like you said, unless I'm getting a King's ransom back, that's something where I want a quarterback in return specifically in, in super flex leagues, um, not trading him for, you know, I mean, a boatload of picks or anything like that, but I, that's, that's kind of where, and if, if for some reason you're on a, you know, a team that needs kind of blown up then absolutely you should be selling Lamar and considering any, any kind of package that's coming your way, whether it's picks and players, I, I still wouldn't want just picks for Lamar because even, you know, he's going to be the next quarterback regression guy that Kev's going to be going on a tangent about in 2020. But I, I would, I would still want players back for, for him because I, I think even if he does regress, he's still going to be a top six quarterback at, at worst next year. So uh, contending in a, in a dynasty team, and unless I'm getting a, a King's ransom back for him, probably not moving him just because he, I, I still think he is going to be a, a sure thing in terms of his production. Um, redraft wise, not going to have him. He's, he's going to be one of those guys that, you know, the, the articles are going to start coming out about how many more points and he had than the next closest and all those sort of things. So I, I'm not going to have him in probably any redrafts next year, but if, if, if he were to fall to like, like I said, probably beginning of the fifth, that's that's where I would look to take him. Lamar Jackson is a cheat code uh, if you have him because rushing 
quarter. I mean, if you took away just his his passing, he was like what RB nine or something on the year. He had such a great year, uh, and it's it's not fair when you have that out of your quarterback position. That said, I still think that Lamar Jackson carries an incredible amount of risk because he is going to get hit more than any other quarterback in the league, and that means he's more likely to get hurt. I realize he's never been hurt in college. He's never been hurt in the pros. He's so good at dodging those big hits, uh, and and he, he's so clever at sort of worming his way down to the ground before he, he gets hit hard anywhere, but... But it's still, it's just a risk. And when you're going to take a, a first round player like that and you're going to miss out on an RB2 or something or even an RB1, uh, I, I think that that is just an incredible amount of risk for a, a quarterback taking that many hits. It sounds a whole lot like Matthew Berry's take Michael Vick number one overall, doesn't it? Like I get that this whole narrative sounds just like that argument back when that epically fell on his face. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough thing with Lamar Jackson. Um, and, I, I, you know, with, with his rushing upside, and maybe I guess you could probably make an argument that he could even progress more as a passer, um, maybe a little bit more volume and everything else because he was super efficient as a, as, a, as a passer. But there's just no way I can ever take a quarterback in the first or second round ever. I just, even with Pat, like Pat Mahomes, and I'm the biggest Pat Mahomes guy there is, and there was no way I could ever have thought about taking him last year where people were – sort of talked about though i will say the things kind of corrected themselves because like this time last year everyone was like oh pat mahomes in the first round pat mahomes in the first round right and then it sort of started to slowly kind of fade back a little bit some of it had to do with the the, the fact that all everything was going on with tyreek we didn't know what was going to happen there but um i don't know i think that baltimore definitely needs to continue to add more pass catchers and the fact that they have willie sneed um as the number two and you know guys like that you know he's relying on 47 tight ends every single week so um i just can't do it but in dynasty so let me ask you this so let's say it's a super flex league and somebody were to offer you let's say uh a first round rookie pick baker mayfield i don't know uh terry mclaurin for him would you do it that's gonna depend on where the where that first is if that's a late first no like it's like that feels crazy to say that with getting baker in return but that i i think you i think you'd be able to get more i think is where where that comes down to like if that's the 101 and baker and mclaurin i'm i'm strongly considering that for sure so it's swift 101 uh and super flex it's probably going to be burrow Swift or Burrow. I will be hammering the accept button on that if someone offered me something like that. Yeah, I, I think I would. Like I, I, th- I, like I think Baker burn. Mayfield is like an ultimate buy low right now. Like Everybody's down on Baker. Everybody thinks Baker's toast. Um, I think it was a poorly ran offense by Freddie Kitchen that was in over his head. Yes, I think that Baker Mayfield could use a little bit of humbling, and I think that's something he got. But I definitely think he's better than what we saw from him. They they still have the weapons, and Joku will be back. They still have Odell, who I do think that will return in this offense. And I think with Jarvis Landry, I think he takes a big step forward. And Baker Mayfield is going to be the one of the big, the one of the especially right now is one of the best buy low options there is. Um, but with Dynasty, I'm sure you probably could get even more for for Lamar Jackson at this point in the Superflex league. So yeah. maybe you're selling a little bit low, but if I if that's the best I get, I would still take it because I think as a package as a whole that that's 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 amazing. But not the resident dynasty guy here. Like the dynasty truthers are probably like, what an idiot! This guy is such a fish. Like does it know? It? But I'm just saying, I don't know. No, no, not, not, 
I don't think so. I think that's, and I think that's something that's uh, just as a general bigger point for for dynasties. Like it all, like to me, that's another one of those things where it's all going to depend on where your team is. Like if you're rebuilding and you get that, I'm I'm accepting. Um, if like Kev, if you said if, like if that's the best offer you get, like I'm gonna accept that too. Like that's th- there's a that's the thing. It's so hard to answer with dynasty trades. And what really works well toward my hedge life is I can just keep, well, you know, it depends on if you're rebuilding or contending. And then it also depends on, you know, what your, what your league does. So that it works out perfectly for the, for the brand and hashtag hedge life uh, for me. Yeah. So, well, I don't know. I think Lamar is going to be an exciting, uh, a, f- a fun player to monitor and see how things kind of twist and turn with him. See how they how things go. Um, you know, some other you know late round guys. I think that really paid off. Jameis, uh, my guy, uh, the the only guy that you know. So fitting, so fitting that he throws a pick six to end their season um, against the Falcons on Sunday. That was fantastic. Uh, I don't know. The dude is, is somewhat delusional too. He's talking about how he's the best in the league. He's got to get them 30 interceptions under the way, and I'm a baller. I balled this year, boys. I balled, but uh, I, I love Jameis. Like that, he is. He is fantastic. Um, you know, Eckler. We've talked about Miles Sanders, Devin Singletary, Cortland Sutton is one we didn't talk about, but he uh, looks like to be a really strong wide receiver one type option moving forward. Michael Gallup, Devontae Parker, John Brown. We've kind of already discussed. So those are some of the late round picks that really, and there's definitely more. We could probably spend an entire podcast just talking about the late round guys. So but let's wrap this thing up. We've gone on for almost two hours now. And let's just kind of put a bow on this thing real quick. And what's the one lesson that you learned in 2019 that you're going to apply in 2020? For me, it's uh, to not be, not to outsmart myself with, um, with, like, with my waiver pickups. So like whenever, for instance, whenever DJ Chark, someone we talked about earlier, whenever he popped week one, I was like, ah, I don't believe in DJ Chark, so there's no way I'm putting in a waiver claim for him. Like I should have just put a, a claim in for him. You know what I mean? You could always drop him if he wasn't, you know what I mean, if he didn't keep that kind of production up. But he ended up, uh, Nate, like you said, he was wide receiver five at, you know, the kind of the midway point of the season. So for me, it's going to, like my biggest lesson learned this year is just to, you know, make those waiver uh, decisions w- without put, putting my own bias into them as far as no, – now, granted, if I'm picking DJ Chark over somebody that I, quote-unquote, needed more, like those kind of things are always going to come into play and into, into consideration. But just to, to not overthink – think that i'm you know outsmarting everybody else like huh, i'll let you pick up dj chark i'll show you so like that to me that was my my biggest lesson learned is just to you know not not over my my waiver claims so uh i i keep a i keep a notebook throughout the year to write down what i learned i recommend everybody does that um but and the number one thing that i wrote this year was do not trust adam gase or anything that Adam Gase touches. Uh, that's that's my joke. Uh, it's true. I really did write that down. But uh, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the real thing that I want to I want to hit is that you you can't you can't just take an early season trend and extrapolate it throughout the entire season. I'm kind of building on your point here, Cody. Is that 
You know, like I simply ignored the Dolphins because I thought they were trash. They kept trading away valuable pieces. And I missed out on Devontae Parker, even though I probably had a chance at him for three, maybe four weeks in a row. And I really should have grabbed him. And it was because of my own hubris of saying, oh, I know that the Dolphins are trash. They're going to suck all year. Um, And that was because I let the early season trends uh, get too strong of of a, a foothold on my analysis, you have to be water every week. You can't just be uh, hard-headed and, and think you know it all because you watch two weeks of football. Um, look at the, what the numbers are telling you. Uh, take four-week samples. Take two-week samples. Compare it all. And uh, remember that the early seasons are not permanent. Early, early seasons trends are not permanent. And don't trust Adam Gaze. Preston Williams, just another name to quickly throw in here as far as uh, a rookie guy to to look forward to next year. Yeah, he was a lot of fun preseason and then kind of getting things going during the season. So uh, sad that he got hurt. Um, you know, there's a lot of rookie. We didn't even really talk that much about McCole Hardman, who is likely the number two wide receiver tethered to Patrick Mahomes next year. So, yeah, it's going to be wheels up for that. So we can talk about that more over the offseason. You know, for me, I don't know. I, I think I think the biggest thing I could say is probably just trying to, to as quickly as possible forget about this season um, in terms of it's very easy to remember the, especially at the end of the season of what happened and just kind of hold on to those, some of those things and kind of forget the entirety of the season. Because if you kind of broke it down into four week segments of the season, you can kind of tell a different story with each, each way along the way where some of these guys uh, certainly weren't, weren't great to start and then kind of picked up the pace. But I, I would say just kind of trying to throw throw everything out and kind of start fresh next year because we we tend to see a lot of like I said recency bias and what what's going to end up happening and where people go with certain players. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing is don't be a sheep. We tend to have a lot of uh, group think, industry think, especially if you're on Twitter. Um, and you're on fantasy Twitter where you see somebody put out something and, you know, whether it's the, the, you know, the man, Evan Silva or whomever, and then it's sort of kind of people sort of uh, flock to that, that, that mindset or that thinking. Um, I know one right now that's kind of going around is that like zero RB is dead, which again, watch next year. It's going to be the ultimate zero RB year. Um, and it's going to explode, but because of that's what the, the industry thinks or group think thinks that ends up being the way things go. So I, I would say, uh, to try to avoid that. It's, uh, it's tough because of all the podcasts and everything else people are listening to out there. It's kind of tough to do that, but I think trying to formulate your own opinion first and then kind of going from there versus uh, just trying to listen to people's podcasts or whatever. And then, and then, you know, I would try to formulate your own opinion. So, cause like I said, this year, this year was wild and it's, it's one like maybe just because again, that is fresh off of it. And once we kind of step away from it and come back to it and look, kind of look back at the season that we'll, maybe have a different opinion but right now like i don't know this feels this this year just feels like different than anything we've had in years past we just like i said we haven't we didn't really ever have a big injury i don't know if we ever felt like we ever really had typically most years you end up having two or three uh guys who late in season breakouts now you can make a case for miles sanders but miles sanders likely wasn't widely available that you could go pick up in your fantasy leagues um he was probably stashed on people's benches and stuff like that you know there was a couple guys that kind of broke out late but there was really no late season monster waiver wire pickup that won people champion championships and it was just kind of a weird year among you know a lot of players who just didn't produce or whatever so um yeah 
I don't know. I'm looking forward to 2020. I do know that we have a ton of stuff planned for the offseason. We're definitely going to be diving into some dynasty stuff. Um, we still have three more weeks of, of DFS with the DFS DJ Nation podcast. We're going to have some guests on for that. Um, so there's a lot of fun stuff coming up. I do believe, I think we discussed that we're going to take a break off this podcast at, um, I believe, and come back after the Super Bowl. I think is what we discussed. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Give us time to, like you said, grind that tape and get the, get the guests lined up and, and whatnot, but there'll definitely be uh written content in the, uh, in the interim. I know, uh, Justin Mandaro is working on some, some IDP stuff, some you know buys and sells, some veteran things like that, and I'll be doing a lot of my uh, rookie prospect kind of breakdowns. So definitely be on the lookout for those, even without a uh, uh, podcast. It'll be put out during that time. Yeah. So um, again, it's been a lot of fun. 2019 has been it's it's been a lot of fun. It's sad that it's kind of coming to a close. The fantasy season is as officially oh you know is, is definitely over unless you're playing DFS and grinding out that. But you know if you're a dynasty guy, even if you're not a dynasty guy, I think there's a lot to that you can gain from really digging into these rookies as a re- even if you just play redraft and or best ball. Um, kind of getting an idea of who these guys are. I wouldn't be the people who I still th- feel like people over inundate themselves with with these guys and by the time the draft comes like they're so locked in that they think who these guys are that they will not change and it doesn't matter where they could be drafted they could be drafted in the perfect spot if they hate them they'll still hate them if there was a guy that they absolutely love but they were drafted in the nut, nut worst spot they'll still try to figure out a way to make that okay um so I would say try to uh, have an open mind to things because things are certainly going to change. We get things wrong or right all the time. But um, again, I'm super excited about everything we have coming. Uh, we have coming up. We got we're going to be doing a lot of stuff. If you are a dynasty guy and want to write about dynasty, if you've ever wanted to do that, we we are looking for some dynasty contributors to add to the team uh, over the you know for, for dynasty season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And so if you want to do that, just hit us up on Twitter at fantasy 13 or at FF underscore authority. Uh, we will be doing that. So, um, and again, check us, check out our DFS stuff. We will be having a new, uh, live video and podcast. We're doing it on Thursday nights. Um, this week and each of the next uh, couple of weeks. So it'll be a lot of fun with the wild card and then the divisional round where we're going to get Maddie and Derek Brown from TQE on again to break down those slates, which is a lot of fun. So again, for at C Kuzler FF for at Nate Henry FF. Um, we appreciate everything for 2019, but bitches 2020 is here and we are, it's going to be lit and we're going to have a lot of fun. And if you have any ideas, comments, concerns, questions, whatever it is, let us know and we will do our best to help you out because after all we are here for you. TFA fam. We'll be back here shortly. Peace. It's been a long day without you, my friend And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again We've come a long way from where we began Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again When I see you again Damn, oh no 
All the planes we flew, good things we been through Then I'll be standing right here talking to you About another path I know we love to hit the road and laugh But something told me that it wouldn't last Had to switch up, look at things different See the bigger picture Those were the days, hard work forever pays Now I see you in a better place Talk about family when family's all that we got Everything I would do, you were standing there by my side And now you gon' be with me for the last it's ride It's been a long day Without you, my friend And I'll tell you all about it When I see you again, I see you again. We've come a long way, yeah, a long way. From where we began you know, we started. Oh, I'll tell you all about it When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.